Welcome to The Policy Shop, weekly conversations with public policy experts where we'll dive into the most important issues affecting all of us here in Illinois. I'm Hillary Gowans. Let's get started. Joining me today is Adam Schuster, Senior Director of Budget and Tax Research at the Illinois Policy Institute. It's well established that Illinois' $130 billion pension debt is incredibly dangerous for both the state's financial outlook and for public sector workers who are counting on their pensions for their retirement. But what if there is a way to provide worried workers more flexibility to put their pensions into their own hands? That's tier three, a little known option that Adam will break down today. He'll help us understand how tier three works and why lawmakers have to take action immediately to fully implement this option for workers. Thanks for joining me today, Adam. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. So I consider you the state's foremost expert on Illinois' public pension crisis. And I think that this is even a newer topic for you to be talking about this tier three hybrid retirement plan. So I'm guessing most people don't know what this is. So what is it and why are we talking about it now? Sure. So tier three is a optional hybrid retirement plan, which means for new employees, they have a decision to make. They can either elect the sort of traditional legacy style pension where you get um, a set check every month. And it really is not mathematically related to how much you paid it. Um, it's really just related to your years of service and your final average salary. Uh, but there's there's downsides to that too, including you know long vesting periods. You have to stay with one employer in order to get those benefits for a long time. Uh, tier three, this optional hybrid plan uh, is sort of a blend between that traditional pension and something closer to a 401k, which is what 98% uh, of the private sector has uh, for their retirement benefits. Um, and basically, uh, you get a smaller defined uh, benefit pension along with the defined contribution pension. So the state pays in a uh, percentage of salary for the defined benefit. Uh, you and the state pay in uh, the defined contribution, and you can retire with both. Uh, the benefit for the employee uh, of this kind of plan is for the first time they have a portable benefit, meaning a benefit they can bring with them from job to job uh, where they don't have to stay working with the state of Illinois. So what's really interesting about this tier three option is that it already passed, right? It passed as part of the 2018 budget. So why isn't anyone able to access tier three? So when they passed the budget in 2018 and they created this tier three system, they did not put in an implementation date or a date by which the systems had to put the system into effect. They sort of said, uh, as soon as is practical, whatever the systems sort of feel like it. Um, and uh, no surprise, they have not done it uh, of their own volition. Uh, in fact, the teacher's retirement system, which is the largest Illinois pension system, um, when this passed, they said, yeah, we'll, we'll have it up and running, we think, by July 1, 2019. Uh, it's still on their website. They're so, you, know, they're, you can still see that prediction, but they, but they never actually did. Um, the reason they didn't put an implementation date in uh, probably has something to do with politics, uh, probably has something to do with just a lack of foresight when we're doing pension planning, and the fact that we're often rushing budgets through um, you know, in a matter of hours, a matter of a couple of days without you know, giving everybody the full time to read it and think through it and make amendments and that sort of thing. But the good news is that this is a relatively easy legislative fix, right? 
Yeah, exactly. The most of the legislation is already on the books. All of the you know provisions that create tier three and set up the benefits and the contributions and how it works and how people can join the system, all of that is already state law. It's already on the books. So if lawmakers were just to go in uh, and tweak that one little technical error they made and put a date by which the systems had to implement it, if you wanted it for this budget year, you'd have to say by July 1st of 2022, um, just put in a date that, that they have to create the system uh, and then we'll have a new option on the books for employees that will actually save the state a lot of money uh, as well as giving, giving them that new option. So I know you're looking into the savings that could be realized from this. Do you have any ballpark calculations? Sure. So uh, it's, it is a little bit up in the air. Um, Illinois also has a really bad habit of making changes to its pension systems without doing full cost analysis, full actuarial analysis to figure out uh, how it's going to affect things. Um, in this case, there was sort of a back of the envelope calculation uh, that wasn't publicly released and vetted. Uh, at the time, lawmakers and Governor Rauner said that this would save about $500 million, um, per year for the state budget. Now, uh, there's a, another group, uh, sort of a, a union-affiliated uh, think tank, Center for Tax and Budget Accountability, um, that opposes this type of pension reform. They came out with an estimate uh, that they said um, would actually it actually only saved 300 million. Um, and they based that on the one retirement system, the university retirement system that actually did release some public numbers on this. They released those numbers uh, back in 2018. Um, but I've done my own analysis now uh, using that same uh, public release from the state university's retirement system. Uh, and I think the number is actually probably closer to what the state was originally estimating, about 500 million. Potentially, you know, uh, for this budget year, if it was implemented, my estimate's 577 million. Uh, and that's basically just what you do is you take the analysis that the state university's retirement system did in 2018, apply it to the other retirement systems that would be affected by these changes, and then carry that forward to this budget year rather than you know the, the 2018 budget year. Um, so you know, bottom line, uh, the the low end estimate is about 300 million, high end estimate closer to 600 million. But either way, hundreds of millions of dollars for this in savings to the state budget that we desperately need while making no changes to benefits for existing employees and offering something new to new employees. Yeah, and that's not nothing. 300 to 500 million dollars in savings could be the difference between, you know, what we see every year, um, last minute tax hikes to close budget deficits that could be somewhere in the ballpark of 300 to 500 million dollars. Now, I think that people who follow the pension crisis closely might come back to you with uh, another point, though, uh, you know, savings is good, but is tier three going to get us to a fix for the pension crisis long term? Probably not. What do you say to those people? Well, I, I agree with that, right? So virtually all of the pension debt, all the problems with our pension system are for people who are already in it. They're for people who are hired before 2011, um, tier one employees. These are the people who get that 3% annual compounding post-retirement raise. It's not really a COLA because it's not tied to inflation. They just get a compounding raise every year, uh, regardless of what's happening 
um, in the economy. And, and so virtually all of the debt uh, is with those benefits. Um, but because of the Supreme Court's decision in 2015, we cannot touch those benefits without a constitutional amendment. Um, ultimately, that's the fix we need for the pension system. We need to amend the Constitution so that we can preserve the benefits that those employees have already earned while making sure that on a going forward basis, they grow at more reasonable and affordable levels um, for taxpayers. But that's going to take a little while. Uh, it needs to pass through the General Assembly um, with supermajority support, three-fifths of, of both houses. It uh, doesn't need to be signed by the governor, but it then requires ballot approval uh, from voters at a general election. Um, there's a way that you could get some of the savings of a constitutional amendment earlier. You could you could change the state's uh, pension contribution schedule to be as if the pension amendment already passed. So you, you don't necessarily have to wait for it to pass to get any of the savings. Um, but we don't even have it on the ballot yet, right? And so tier three is sort of this incremental step, right? It's a step in the right direction. Uh, it saves the state money on its biggest cost driver, its pension crisis. Uh, it helps employees escape a system um, that is you know, at dangerous risk of failing and, and be put into uh, a system where they've got a little bit more control over their own benefits and they can bring them with them. Uh, and it starts moving us away from the type of pension system, that this legacy defined benefit pension system that caused the problems in Illinois and frankly caused the problems in so many other states. And for and for uh, businesses as well. I mean, there's a reason why businesses have moved away uh, from those defined benefit pensions to, to these sort of hybrid systems or defined contribution systems. I think the reason that I like this is because I think it's it's creative and it's not just a one track approach on pension reform. You know, I think obviously we we can't walk away from the constitutional pension amendment. That's the big fix. We're always going to be fighting for that. Um, but in the meantime, if you put yourself in the shoes of a younger government worker, you know, we're in our 30s. So let's say instead of working at the Illinois Policy Institute, we decided to pursue careers um, in state government. I would want the option to get out of the, the tier two system uh, or to just take more control over my retirement in general. My mom um, was visiting from Michigan this weekend and she was a career public school teacher and she was talking about retired life and, and, and all of that. My mom was a hard worker and a good teacher for a long time. Um, but it's just really interesting to hear her talk about um, her pension. And then, you know, my father was a private sector worker. So he is, is on social security as well. Now he's over 65, but I, you know, I was thinking as she was talking, I, I can't even imagine what that's like just to have this guaranteed retirement amount year after year. And then on the other side with social security, I don't think you or I will ever see a dollar of that. And I think a lot of people our age who are government workers feel that way too. Don't you think that they deserve flexibility as well? Absolutely. They deserve the flexibility, but they also, you know, yes, there's a security and knowing that you're going to have that guaranteed payment. But when you don't have a financially sustainable retirement system, it's not really that secure, right? So uh, Illinois' retirement systems only have 40 cents saved for every dollar they've made in future promises. Now, experts generally consider that to be uh, what they call a point of no return, meaning you're never going to be able to fulfill your promises without significant changes uh, to the current system. So if you're somebody considering state employment or uh, you know who's in state employment, you know the, the tier three is only for people for new hires. But if you're already you know working for the state, you may be 
seriously concerned about the state's ability to, to sustain this in the long run. And, all, you know, if you're a tier two worker, somebody who's hired more recently, a younger worker in their 30s, kind of like you're saying with Social Security, you have to think, is my pension actually going to be there for me? Um, and with the defined contribution, nobody can ever take that away from you. That, that's a personal account that belongs to you and is not managed by politicians. Yeah. And you, you bring up a good topic, this tier two. I, I just can't believe what the state has done to younger workers uh, with this tier two system that basically forces younger workers to subsidize the pensions of people who came before them. So can you sort of explain what are the tiers of the pension system? And could you elaborate on how tier two works to support tier one? Sure. So uh, tier one benefits, uh, we already briefly discussed. So basically, they're the most generous benefits. They've got younger retirement ages, uh, a better COLA. Um, many of them got special perks that enable them to spike pensions or used un unused sick time towards pensions and these types of things. Um, in 2011, the state implemented a new tier, tier two, which uh, cut benefits. It, it lowered the rate of accrual. It reduced the cost of living adjustment. Um, uh, raised retirement ages, so basically made the benefits a little bit less generous to make them a little bit more affordable. Um, some of those changes went too far. So, for example, with the COLA, uh, they they changed it from this three percent compounding that's just ridiculous uh, to half of inflation. But but half of inflation is not a very good COLA because that means that your purchasing power is actually declining over the course of your retirement. Each year, your dollar goes a little bit less far um, if you're only getting half of inflation. So, uh, in the teachers' retirement system in particular, I believe it's about two and a half percent, might be two percent of their salary that they're paying into the pension system that doesn't go to their benefits. That that 2%, 2.5% goes directly to tier one because they're paying more than they're going to get, which is, is the reverse of tier one where they only pay for about 5% of the lifetime cost of their benefits uh, on average and the rest of it is subsidized by taxpayers. Um, so tier two is really an unfair system uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because of the subsidy. Uh, two, because of the COLA only being in half inflation. Uh, and three, they're actually subsidizing tier one in two ways. Uh, one is through these salary contributions. And the other one is through their taxes. Because when tier one benefits were being earned, uh, when they were put in place in the 90s and early 2000s, um, taxes were much lower. Uh, so the people getting those benefits didn't pay the tax rates you know, to fund them. So we're both paying through them through our taxes. And if you're a state worker, you're paying through it through direct salary contributions while getting a less generous pension than the people you're paying for. Uh, so it's a generational wealth transfer. It creates a system of, of have and have nots. And it's really just, you know, not a smart way uh, to design a retirement system because you're preserving uh, the benefits. You know, you're trying to preserve maximum benefits for the people who are already in it uh, and hurting younger workers, which means you're actually um, hurting your ability to attract new talent in favor of, you know, uh, your, your sort of legacy workforce. Um, it's short-sighted. And what our reforms would do is sort of uh, equalize things, put them on the same level playing field. So for example, we do um, change the tier one COLA from this 3% compounding to match inflation. But we also bring the tier two COLA up from one half of inflation to full inflation, but it's paid for with, with these structural changes. What would happen if tier two stopped subsidizing tier one? You would see a large increase in uh, projected pension debt, which would mean more money from the state budget, which ultimately comes from taxpayers. Uh, it would also have an effect uh, at the local level potentially, um, where you could see uh, increases in property taxes. 
All right, Adam. So are there any other features of tier three that we should talk about? So tier three has at least two other things uh, I really like about it. The first is it aligns responsibility for paying um, for pension benefits with responsibility for setting them. So basically under the current state law, Teachers, um, so school districts and universities set the, uh, the the base pay, the wages or salaries for the employees, uh, but then the state has to pay the pension costs for those employees. So th- it creates this sort of perverse incentive where they can do things like offer pension perks instead of a salary increase. So say, say the employee wants a 6% salary increase, the employer can only afford a 3% salary increase. They say, well, I'll give you 3% and also you can use your unused six, day, six days towards your pension. Well, the state's on the hook for that, not the employer, so it creates this bad incentive, right? If they have to pay for the cost of the benefits they create, it both saves money for the state budget, and it just creates a better incentive where they're encouraged to keep costs to what they can actually afford rather than transferring them to someone else. Uh, The other really nice feature about Tier 3 is they sort of uh, foresaw this issue with Tier 2, where Tier 2 is subsidizing Tier 1. And with Tier 3, they made sure that could never happen. Uh, So employee contributions, how much they have to pay out of salary are set standard at 6.2%. But if the cost of their benefits ever falls below 6.2% of their salary, then the amount they have to contribute falls with it. So this sort of automatic uh, economic adjustment uh, is generally a a good feature for pension systems because it makes sure that they're changing in response to what's happening in the real world, what's happening in the economy. That's really good news. And I actually want to implore that if anyone listening right now is a tier two pensioner or knows a tier two pensioner, send them my way, because I I really do think this is one of the most unjust things about the pension system and the pension crisis in Illinois, and no one really talks about it. Um, So it's great to hear that tier three corrects for that for younger workers. Is there anything else that we should be thinking about specific to tier three, especially as we head into budget season? Well, I would just say, you know, the cost uh, savings are a little bit uncertain, um, but that's only because the state hasn't done what it should have done when it passed this, which is to release a full actuarial analysis uh, of what the savings could be. Um, So while we know it has uh, significant potential, um, I would encourage lawmakers to, you know, release that analysis to to ask uh, state forecasters to do that analysis um, so that we can actually have a fully informed uh, decision. All right. Well, Adam, thanks so much for breaking down this issue for us. And we'll keep an eye on this throughout the legislative session this spring. Talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Bye. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To keep up with all of our work at the Illinois Policy Institute and to sign up for our newsletter, visit IllinoisPolicy.org. If you like what you heard today, subscribe and give us a five-star review. We'll see you next week for another episode of The Policy Shop.